Well, amen, amen. That's what we come to celebrate today, that we have a God who is able to turn those things into beautiful things because he's not dead anymore. He is alive. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Well, go ahead and grab a seat if you're here worshiping with us in Newburgh. If you're worshiping in the long line, thanks for joining us today. Happy Easter to each of you and your families. After a year hiatus and now a several week long tournament right here in the state of Indiana, it's finally time the stage is set to declare who the next NCAA men's national championship is. The game tomorrow night will feature the Baylor Bears and the Gonzaga Bulldogs. If you stayed up late watching that game last night, you were certainly not disappointed. Wow, I love this time of year. I love March Madness. And I know there's a song at Christmas time that says that Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. But I think with weather like yesterday and good basketball, that rivals that conclusion in my mind for sure. You know, I love watching March Madness. I've had to adjust a little bit this year because my favorite college team from just across the river didn't make those 68 teams that were selected this year. And so I've had to pull for some other team. But I've not been disappointed. I love the sense of competition. And I love what happens on the court. But I've got to be honest, my favorite moment every year of the NCAA tournament happens after the final buzzer of the championship game has gone off. It's after a, a winner has emerged, the trophy has been awarded, the t-shirts and hats have been distributed, even the nets have been cut down. My favorite moment of the whole NCAA men's basketball tournament is that final like video montage that, that plays at the very conclusion of the last broadcast to a song that we know as One Shining Moment. You might not be familiar with One Shining Moment, but it's actually an original song that was written by a guy named David Barrett. He wrote it in 1986 after watching Indiana's own Larry Bird play basketball. And he had a friend who worked for CBS, and he gave that song to his friend at CBS, and CBS liked it so much that they decided that they would play One Shining Moment at the very end of Super Bowl XXI. That would happen in January of 1987. Well, the game went long and that caused the broadcast to go long. And so the, the song was cut at the end of the game. It never, never showed. And so just a few months later, they asked Barrett, could we show that one shiny moment song at the end of the conclusion of the NCAA men's basketball tournament? And so after, let me write, make sure I get his name right, Keith Smart. After Keith Smart made that last second shot for the Indiana Hoosiers, lifting them over Syracuse to win the national championship, one shining moment made its debut. Some might say that was IU's last shining moment, but maybe that's just because I'm an IU fan, right? Or a UK fan. Well, one shining moment has become the most recognizable song in all of sports. Every college basketball player dreams of growing up, playing in the national championship, and making a shot that would be featured in that video to one shining moment. A lot of times that video captures the clutch moments of the tournament. Maybe it's a last second shot. Maybe it's a pivotal moment in the game that causes things to go for the good or for the bad. And the outcome just doesn't always impact the team itself. Sometimes a player who's kind of been playing in obscurity throughout the season makes some of those key moments throughout the tournament and it changes the course of their life forever. It becomes a defining moment for them and it kind of moves them on to maybe what their next experience could be, like being drafted in the NBA. Well, 
One shining moment captures the defining moments of the NCAA tournament every year. In fact, it's played every year and since 1987. But defining moments are not just reserved for sports. History is filled with defining moments. Gallup did a survey of the most defining moments of the 20th century. And the top five, three of them had to do with World War II, Nazi Holocaust, the dropping of the atomic bomb, and the war itself. Other things that made the list was a women's right to vote, the passage of the Civil Rights Act, a man landing on the moon, JFK being assassinated, the fall of the former Soviet Union, the fall of the Berlin Wall, even Watergate made the list. And even though we're just 20 years into the 21st century, already we've had some very defining moments like the invention of the iPhone, the tragedy of 9-11, the, um, the Hurricane Katrina, even the election of the first African-American president in the United States. All those things are defining moments. Life has not been the same since, and it never will be the same since. What would you list as some defining moments in your life? I think we'd all agree that being born is a defining moment, right? We all got our start the exact same way. But since then, we've had many moments that shape the course of our life, good things and some really challenging things. Maybe it's finishing high school and finishing college, graduating with a degree. Maybe it's getting a job. Maybe it's marrying a person. Maybe it's going through divorce. Maybe it's having children, watching your children get married. Maybe some of you watching your children's children get married. Maybe it's going through a diagnosis. Maybe it's seeing the death of a loved one. All those things are defining moments. Well, today we come to celebrate the most defining moment of all times, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection are historically documented, just like all those other events from history I just mentioned. The authenticity of the accounts that, that tell us about Jesus' death and resurrection are reliable. In fact, there's no other ancient text in all of history that comes close to the reliability and the authenticity of the Bible from its earliest manuscripts. Here's something you may not know. There are 6,000 copies of the Greek New Testament that are original documents of capturing the life story of Jesus Christ. And they were written about 50 years after, the, the, the most recent one was about 50 years after it was written. Now I wanted to compare that to something that we would all take at face value, like Homer's The Iliad. It's one of the Western world's most famous or longest knowing pieces of literature. Well, here's the facts about it. There are only 2,000 copies of Homer's Iliad. And the, the earliest that we find was written 400 years after the original manuscript. It just goes to show us that the text of the Bible is historically accurate, it's reliable, it's authentic. And the historical accounts of Jesus' life, there are four of them in the Bible. The Gospels is what we call them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four of them record Jesus' death and resurrection. Only two of them record his birth. It tells us that Jesus' death and resurrection are extremely important. They are defining moments. We can trust the Bible as a source of historical record, but it is so much more than that. When Paul was writing to the Corinthians about Jesus' death and resurrection, he said these words. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you've taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. 
Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, who we know as Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he had poured to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of who are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, Paul says, he appeared to me. What Paul's saying in this short passage is that I want you to remember these things I've taught you. They are of first importance. He's saying they are foundational. They are central to the main thrust of the good news. It's what we celebrate today. And it's simple. Jesus died, he was buried, and he came back to life. And this is not just historical, though. This is life-changing. Jesus' death and resurrection are defining moments. There are many places throughout the Bible that you can read to gain a full understanding of just how significant Jesus' death and his resurrection are. But this morning, I want us to take a little bit of a look at the book of Romans. We're not going to read the entire book of Romans today, but I'd encourage you to do that. I'd encourage you to take some time this week, set aside just a few moments every day this week to read through the book of Romans. If you have a Bible with you, you can do that. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to stop by the Connection Center before you leave today. Let us give you a copy of God's Word. Or if you're into technology, you can download the Bible free from a group called YouVersion. It's the Bible app. It's the most downloaded app, I think, of all times. I encourage you to read the book of Romans. The book of Romans, some have described as a diatribe by the Apostle Paul. Now, I don't know about you, but when your boss or your spouse goes on a diatribe, it's not always seen in the most positive light, right? Well, what Paul's doing to the Romans and what he wants us to take away is to understand these, these theological truths that may seem really heady or really big to get your arms around, but he tries to make them so practical to our everyday life. Paul's saying that, that I want you to recognize, to know, to truly understand just how significant Jesus' death and resurrection are, not merely as historical moments, but as defining moments. Paul's working off the premise that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection are all events that happened in the past, but are relevant in the present and in the future, both in his day and in ours. They are not just significant in the past or when this life is over. They are significant now. Paul shares the significance both of Jesus' death and resurrection to help us understand what God has done on our behalf. He laid the foundation in chapters 1 and 2 that we are all unrighteous. No one is righteous, Paul says. No one is better off than anyone else when it comes to our relationship with God because we have all sinned. God revealed his character to us through creation, through the law. And then he sent Jesus to reveal his character to us, to show us how life was intended to be lived, how to live in a relationship with God who is holy. But you and I exchange the truth of God and his revelation for, our, for a bunch of lies. Whether those lies came from ourselves or from somewhere else, they all guided us away from God. They caused us to choose our own way, to make our own path. And the Bible calls that a three-letter word, sin. And this sin has separated us from God. It was our own doing. And because of that, we have all found ourselves confused, fearful, guilt-ridden, aimless, even hopeless. 
Now, I want you to know today that that is not how God intended you and I to live. That is not the way he wants for us. And he loves us way too much to let us wallow in this condition. So God provided a way for us to be reconciled to him, to be made right, restored to our original design, holy in his sight, righteous. Now, righteous is one of those you know, million-dollar words. It feels really, really big, right? But let me just explain to you that righteousness is just living in right relationship with God, living in a way that pleases him. It's not something that we can do on our own. It's not something we can earn by doing good things. It's not something we can find any other way. It's only by grace, a free gift. Somebody gave a great explanation of what grace is. They use it as an acrostic. God's riches at Christ's expense. Jesus died for us and came back to life so that we could be made right with God, be given all the riches of heaven because of what Christ did for us. Paul describes it this way to the Romans in Romans 3. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And he did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he let the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. That is the truth of the gospel. That is good news. That is the result of what Jesus has done through his death and resurrection. And so Paul now then connects how you and I should respond to this truth by helping us see our identification with Jesus' death and resurrection. I want to read a section from Romans chapter 6 where Paul speaks of this. Read along with me if you're opening your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Paul says this. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live to it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in his death like this, we'll certainly also be united with him in his resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who's died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has any mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourselves to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law, but you are under grace. Paul says, how should we respond to Jesus' death and resurrection? How can they be defining moments for us? 
Well, I think, first of all, it's by realizing that Jesus' death and resurrection saves from sin. Jesus' death on the cross was so that you and I might be done away with sin, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, that we'd be free from sin. When we unite ourselves with Jesus through faith, his death on the cross cancels our punishment for sin, and therefore we should be done with sin. It doesn't mean that we are free from the possibility of sin. It just means that we are free from the obligation to sin. Jesus has freed us from the punishment as well as from the enslavement to sin. And Paul says, if God's offered this type of grace to you, then you should be motivated by gratefulness to turn from sin and live to God. Eugene Peterson, in his translation of the Bible in the book of Romans in chapter six says this, if we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed it all up and we left there for good? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ. A decisive end to that sin miserable life, no longer captive to sin's demands. Did you know why there are fences around cemeteries? It's because people are dying to get in. But did you also know why there is no guards at the gate? Why there's no searchlights uh, up on top of the wall? Why there, where there's no 24 hour surveillance? It's because there is a zero possibility of those living in those underground dwellings to commit crime. They are dead. There is no longer any activity. And that's a picture of what you and I should be living. We are dead to sin because Jesus died for sin and he saved us from it. Paul says sin is done away with. The original word there is rendered powerless. It's like when the cell phone battery on your cell phone goes dead, there isn't anything it's going to do. It's when the operating system on your computer is obsolete. It's when your team has been eliminated from the tourney. They are D-O-N-E. But Paul says you are also freed. You are justified. You've been released because your payment is in full. You're free to go. You're declared righteous. Your account has been settled. Did Jesus' death on the cross frees us from sin. But that's only half the story. You see, his death on the cross was not a get out of hell free card. So what are we saved for? Well, I think that's where the resurrection comes in. Jesus' death and resurrection saves us for righteousness. Jesus came back to life. And just like that, we are given a new life to live. Since it's true that Jesus died and that we died to sin with him, we will also live with him. We're free to live with him. We are living life to God, Paul says. It's what we're saved to. In verses 11 through 13, Paul says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't offer your parts of, of your life as an instrument of wickedness, Paul says, but instead offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Offer every part of your life, Paul says, to God as an instrument of righteousness. Identifying with Jesus' death and resurrection is ultimately responding to God's gracious work to save us, joining with Jesus in his death and his resurrection. It brings about new life. He says, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. That word count means to consider or to regard, to maintain or to hold on to. 
Jesus' death and resurrection are inseparable. And so therefore, so should our identification with them. They should define us. We die to sin and we live to God. That's where we get our defining moment. Paul exhorts us to recognize our new identity, who we are now in in Jesus, and to put that identity into motion by dethroning sin in our daily lives and living lives to please God, righteous lives. That's why Paul says it later in Romans 12. I, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Because of what God has done for us, this then is how we should live. It's not an obligation, it's a privilege. That's why Paul says in verse 14, you are not under law, you are under grace. I grew up in a, as a preacher's kid, talking about feeling a weight of responsibility to live a right life, to be perfect, to know all the answers, to always be the person who gets called on for prayer in every Sunday school class. I have to know all the Bible answers right off the top of my head. And as a teenager, even as an adult, every action scrutinized by a group of people who sort of love my dad, but he also kind of know that your mistakes could honestly, honestly maybe cost him his job. That's a lot of pressure for a young boy, a young girl, for sure. I think about it as I raised my three children. But I came to a realization fairly early in my life that I was not going to live for my daddy, even though I love him dearly. I was gonna live for my Savior and Lord who loves me even more than anybody that I could ever encounter on the face of this earth. Not because I have to, but because I want to. That's for me what it looks like to move from living toward death to moving toward life. And here's the good news. We have the Holy Spirit to help us. Romans 8 verse 11, Paul says, the same Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead is living in you. He will give life to you by the same spirit that is living in you. The spirit brings us to life to live for God. Paul writing to a guy named Titus said these words, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem from us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. See what happened in the past? It defines our present and it guarantees our future. The good works that you and I do right now here on earth, they don't save us, but they are what we are saved for. We here at Crossroads are committed to not just doing church, but actually to being the church. And while this past year has limited the ways that we could gather as a church family, I want you to know that the church has never been more alive than ever. And over this past year, this congregation has continued to pursue living and loving like Jesus, not because we have to, but because we get to. It's our privilege and joy to live lives that reflect God. Are any of us perfect? No, but we live under the grace and by the grace that we've received through Jesus Christ. And we're motivated by that to serve each other, to serve this community, to serve the world. 
And I invite you to join him with this. It might be the best way for you to re-engage in the life of this congregation. Then just showing up here for an hour on Sunday morning in my world is not enough. It's not because we're earning God's love, but because we're so motivated by God's love that we can't get enough of serving him, living for him. And so this Saturday, actually from nine to three, we have an opportunity to serve right here in our community. And I invite you into this, not because you have to, but because hopefully you would want to. From nine to noon, we're gonna be serving with our local partners, the Potter's Wheel and Community One. We're gonna be doing some work at the Culver Learning Center. We're gonna be painting their uh, playground equipment. We're gonna be doing some landscaping. We're gonna be doing some other things to spruce up that uh, facility. And then from 12 to three, we're actually going to be hosting a, a family fun activity. Uh, we're helping host this with one of our partners here in town. And we'll be having food and games for kids. And we would love for you and your family to join us in serving our community. You can certainly find more information about this on our website, cccgo.com forward slash info. In fact, when you came in today, you received a little card. And this card talks about this, uh, this serving opportunity. It also talks about two other ways that you can engage here in the life of what Crossroads is doing. And we just give you a little public service announcement. We're gonna to continue to follow protocol that will keep everybody safe from COVID-19 as best as we can. But also starting this next weekend, we'll be removing some of the restrictions that we uh, have had because of the new recommendations from our health officials and government officials. So as of next Sunday, we're no longer requiring masks, but we are gonna recommend masks. We'll let you uh, take your own precautions as you feel led. If you wanna wear a mask, you're certainly welcome. And if you don't wanna wear a mask, that's your choice. We're just encouraging you to be responsible. We're also going to continue practicing social distancing. That's what our governor and local health and, and government officials have asked of us. But as we kind of emerge out of this COVID season, I want you to gather with us weekly. But I also want you to engage in what God is doing in the life of this congregation, in this community around us. We're going to explore that as we kind of kick off this new sermon series next week, 101. What does it really look like to follow Jesus? And how can that define my life? So let me ask you a question. What is currently defining your life? When your final buzzer goes off and your life is over, what will the highlight reel show? What will be those defining moments for you? How would your life be defined? Have you lived a life that's just filled with things like frustration or aimless living? Is your life filled with guilt or fear or, or shame, hopelessness? Or is your life filled with what we call the, the fruit of the spirit? It's what Paul says, kind of demonstrate that you've moved from death to life. And so your life would be defined by love and joy, and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those all manifest in the way that you live and the way that you love. It's being defined by Jesus' death and resurrection. So maybe Easter 2021 is your defining moment. Maybe it's time for you to identify with Jesus' death and resurrection more than just historical moments that you celebrate annually. Maybe it's time for all of us to live in a way that shows that we've been rescued from death. We've been made alive, alive to God, living like his son, Jesus. Embracing all that Jesus has done for us and what he wants to do through us. What we've been saved from and what we've been saved for. Maybe today you need to do that for the very first time, or maybe you need to do it for real this time. 
Through Jesus' death and resurrection, we are freed from sin. We're made alive to God. No longer do we have to carry around the weight of sin on our shoulders, live in shame, or have no purpose in life. Jesus died on the cross, canceling our debt, taking our shame, declaring us righteous. So let's live like we are. Let's let his death and resurrection define us, not pretending, but truly living like Jesus. Let his death and resurrection change your past, your present, and your future. Start living this new life that he offers by accepting his death on the cross as your salvation and let his way of living define you, allowing his grace to teach and enable you to live in love like Jesus. We'd love to help you wherever you're at on that spectrum. Maybe declaring Jesus as Savior and Lord for the first time or continuing to figure out how that takes shape in your everyday life. We'd love to know how we could help you. So you can just respond in a couple ways this morning. You can simply pull out your phone right now and text the word now to 812-858-8668. Whether you're here in this room or you're worshiping online with us, let us know that you have a desire to follow Jesus and you want us to come alongside you and, and to walk with you, to learn from you and to also you learn from us that we're all walking this path together. Or just stop by one of the welcome tables as you leave today. Or me and my teammates will be out in the atrium. We'd love to help you on this journey. Let Jesus' death and resurrection define the way that you live and the way that you love. Paul says something to the Philippians that's really important. He says, try to shine as lights among the people of this world as you hold firmly to the message that gives you life. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for what you've done on our behalf. Thank you for rescuing us from death by letting Jesus die. It still doesn't make sense to us, but we receive it, we embrace it, we revel in it. And we do that because we've not just been identified with his death, but we've been made alive, alive to live to you and for you. And God, I pray like never before that all of us who hear these words today would be transformed, changed, defined by Jesus' death and his resurrection. And the result of that would be lives that are changed to be more like Jesus. And the world would notice. They would say that we have a different way of going about this life. And they want to know what that looks like, how they can too. God, I pray that everything we do, everything we say, the way that we live, the way we love, would bring glory and honor to you. I pray that through the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.